At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. It's the first podcast, I think, with... Uh, my co-host Miles Simmons, where uh, we're both in California at the same time. I covered the NFC Championship game on Sunday as we record this on Monday. Um, I am still in California, going to hang around and do a couple things out here for my column next week. And so I decided, let's just record this today. We'll get it out. And our guest this week uh, is going to be Brock Purdy. I spent some time with him after the game on Sunday. And it's going to be a little bit of a different feel for a guest. And in because I'm just going to play three sound bites from my conversation with him and sort of lead into those bites. But anyway, you'll hear it. It was fun. It was interesting. Uh, Miles, I find myself... Very, very interested in both of these games, but particularly the strategic elements of game two of the NFC championship game. And I think we really have to dive in on that. The first half of our pod, will discuss the NFC game. Second half, we'll discuss the AFC game. Uh, Brock Purdy will be the bridge to those. Then we'll give you just a quickie, Super Bowl preview before Miles and I are both in Las Vegas next week when we will record uh, the Peter King podcast there. So having said all of that, Miles, let's just get to the big part of what seems to have really uh, lit America on fire, and that is Dan Campbell's coaching decisions in the second half of this game. So let's get exactly what the situations were, Miles, and let's discuss each of the fourth down calls by Dan Campbell. Okay, the first one. With the Lions up 24 to 10 midway through the third quarter, they had a fourth and two at the San Francisco 28. So Dan Campbell has a choice. He could either go for it on fourth down on fourth and two, or he could kick a field goal, try to kick a field goal. Uh, It would be a 46-yard field goal with Michael Badgley. Now, I've read and heard a lot about, well, Michael Badgley's a a lousy kicker whatever. Well, I I went back and looked at it, and Michael Badgley is not bad. In the last three seasons, he's made 18 of 22 field goal attempts, in the 40s, from 40 to 49 yards. That's 82%. It's not automatic. It's pretty good. And I must emphasize, being in the stadium in Santa Clara, California, Sunday night, it was absolutely beautiful. No weather, no wind, uh, about maybe 68 degrees. It was just a perfect night for anything. And they happen to be playing a football game. Uh, so so anyway, he chose to go for it. Obviously, Jared Goff threw an incompletion to Josh Reynolds. Now, some are calling it a drop. I wouldn't. It was a hard ball to catch, but he probably should have caught it. Uh, but anyway, 
It's incomplete. Turn the ball over on downs. Your thoughts on the call? You know, I really didn't mind it at the time. And, you know, I understand that you're going up excuse me, by three possessions. Excuse me. If you make that field goal. Yeah. But at the time, right. And you, if you are able to get down the field and score a touchdown, then you almost effectively in the game. And yes, with what the Detroit lions have done throughout the course of the season, it did not surprise me that they went for it. And you're still up by two touchdowns at that point. So that's why, in my mind, that's a place where you can be aggressive and kind of go for that kill shot where, yeah, if you get more points with the field goal, it is what it is. Like, that's good to go up by three possessions, certainly, but it doesn't give you that whole thing of, hey, man, we have come here to take this right? We're not just going to sit back and maybe rest and then see if something does or doesn't happen, right? Like that to me is just not what the Lions philosophy has been. If it's more than fourth and two, then I think you think about kicking it more. But at that point, especially because you're up by two touchdowns, I really didn't mind them going for it. Problem is, of course, when you don't execute, right? And that to me is the, the biggest problem there. So I really thought Campbell was justified going for it here. And I'll tell you why. Obviously, you're right. You're up 14 points. You have a chance to go up three touchdowns on the road in the NFC Championship game. And I agree with you. If you score there, you can look at the final score and you could say, well, look at the 49ers. They came back. They may have come back. I understand that. But... There's a lot of difference between a 14-point lead with a quarter and a half to go against the Kyle Shanahan offense and a 21-point lead. So, and, and, and I think also the, the Lions at that point are still riding the wave of a dominant first half of this game. Yes. This yes. was their first possession of the third quarter. So I don't in any way begrudge Campbell for going for this. And keep in mind, Dan Campbell went for it on fourth down this year, 24% of the time. And that's the most in the NFL in at least 20 years. So this is, again, it's who he is. But I'm gonna, we're going to morph into the second one now or transition into the second one. And I'm going to tell you why I disagreed with this call. And and I've heard and I've read, hey, this is who Dan Campbell is. You change who you are based on the game situation. Yes. All right. So here was the second one. All right. This now, we are, now the game has totally turned. The 49ers have scored 17 points on their next three possessions. The game is now tied, or I'm sorry, excuse me. The 49ers are now up 27 to 24. And I think this next series is crucial for the Lions. They got to the 30 yard line of San Francisco, fourth and three, 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 three yards. And and I went back and I watched the replay um, after the game And it was a good three yards. It might have been three yards and a foot uh, after Amon Ross St. Brown, um, you know, was uh, caught a ball on third down and got within three yards of the sticks. So now it's fourth and three. and, And here's the difference, right? It is midway through the fourth quarter. Now you may only have after this, you may only have one possession left. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide, I need to at least tie this game. Now, you know what? It's, it's, It's very interesting. Coaches don't often tell you, Miles, exactly why they did something. And maybe he didn't have faith in Michael Badgley. But all I can say is this. In 2024... If you don't think your kicker in calm, pristine conditions can make a 48-yard field goal, that's on you. 
That's your fault for putting this guy on the team. So I'm assuming at that moment that he's probably going to make a 48-yard field goal if he tries. But be all that as it may, he chose to go for it again. And in my opinion, Jared Goff made a an awful throw. Again, to Amon Ross St. Brown, but he was way off. He was flush from the pocket, and so it didn't work. And, and honestly, that to me was a gigantic play in this game. I would have kicked the field goal here. Your thoughts? Well, I I didn't blame Campbell for shooting a, a 48-yard field goal because I, as much as we think, and, and Peter, I, I do think you're right. If you're in a postseason situation, you're in the NFC Championship game and you don't trust your kicker to make a 48-yard field goal, that's a problem, right? You, you have to be able to hit from 48 or from 50 on in, let's say, if you're in the postseason. And if you don't have a kicker that you can trust to do that, that's an issue. So then if that's the case, like the, the, the Detroit Lions absolutely need to address kicker in the offseason. Um, but I, I still don't think 48 is quite a gimme. And It's not a gimme. You're right. Yeah, You're right. I, I, so I understood what it was that they were trying to do in terms of going for it there. But when you're down three and you have a chance to tie the game, you probably do need to tie the game in the fourth quarter in what that situation is midway through the final period of the NFC championship game. Like I, 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 I see it from both sides, but I would lean toward, yeah, you really should have kicked the field goal there. Whereas earlier on in the game, like I understand the going for it because you're still up by two touchdowns, but Peter, you know, what I think is getting lost in this discourse over Dan Campbell's decisions is that Jameer Gibbs fumbled away a possession yeah. In the in deep, deep, deep in Detroit territory, right after the 49ers had scored. And so to me, like that's why where you go for it earlier on and you're like, yeah, we're still up by two touchdowns. We have the opportunity to get back on the horse and still go stay up by two touchdowns, even if they take this and they go down the field and score. Because you have a fumble right there, you totally lost the momentum of what you were doing. Like that to me is the real key play. And, you know, yes, Campbell deserves some criticism, but, and I don't want to kill a rookie running back for one mistake either, but like that right there, when you fumble in your own territory on the first play of a drive, like that is where they, Detroit really started to lose that game, in my opinion. You know, Miles, uh, agree with you all, you on this, and, and there was a commonality to these two games and that is a first-round rookie for each team that lost made a gigantic error in each one of the games. Jameer Gibbs in the 49er game, and obviously Zay Flowers with really the mistake of the year for the Baltimore Ravens. And you can't say they would have won the game if he doesn't fumble at the I'm serious. The 10 inch line. Right. I Zapruder filmed that. And we'll talk about that on the other side. But I, I looked at that for a long time and it looked like it was just, it was about a foot might've been closer than a foot. But anyway, uh, the rookies, I think even though they had great impact this year, man, both of them really hurt their team, uh, it, you know, late in these games. The one other thing I really wanted to talk about with this game you know, what I find so interesting about football as a sport is how much can happen in 60 minutes of a game. And I'll give you my case in point at the 49ers game. So I'm at Levi's Stadium. I'm trying to bang out some stuff at halftime. And just before the start of the second half, I say, man, Got to use the men's room. And so I go into the men's room. And now remember, the Lions are up 24 7 at halftime, and it's not looking good for the home team. And, you know, it's a little crowded in the men's room. And one of the guys at using a urinal kind of yelled out, Who's got odds on the 49ers opening day quarterback next year, Purdy or Kirk Cousins? 
So, I mean, it was just sort of a funny thing to say, and I didn't think anything of it until after the game. I'm thinking Brock Purdy just really changed the narrative. It's not, he, he, he didn't, it wasn't the greatest half a quarterback's ever made. But the fact is, <clears throat> the 49ers were down 24 to 7 at the half, and they scored 27 points in the second half to come back and win and to earn this Super Bowl trip. Props to to Brock Purdy, man. And I just wanted to get your take on what you saw out of him in the second half. I, I like to say that Brock Purdy has got some stuff to him. Like he's, yeah. he's the kind of guy that you want on your team because you feel like it's never going to completely go off the rails usually, right? I mean, it did – in that Baltimore game, right? Like that's the one where you're like, man, he just, that one was non-competitive. But what he does for you is he allows guys to make plays and when things go off, right? And usually they don't in a Kyle Shanahan offense, but when he has to make an off schedule play, he can make it. And he showed that, you know, by running the ball with making the plays with his legs when he had to. And, you know, you look at the two quarterbacks in that game specifically, right? One drafted number one overall, Jared Goff, obviously in 2016. The other drafted last pick in the draft a couple years ago. And Brock Purdy is the one who has the mobility. And that mobility, I thought, was really the difference in the game. And because, look, when Jared Goff had things break down for him, the protection started breaking down and he got pressured and he had to get flushed out. And you just brought it up, Peter, that fourth down throw, like it was totally off. And Jared Goff just does not necessarily have that ability, unfortunately, to like make those kinds of plays with his legs where he's bouncing around the pocket, he sees a lane, and boom, he goes and hits it. Like that's not his game. He is a pocket passer, which is fine. I mean, obviously it works for him in many situations, but what Brock Purdy can do for you is if the protection breaks down, if the play doesn't quite go the way it's supposed to on schedule, he can still make something happen for you. And that's something we see with Patrick Mahomes, right? Josh Allen, Joe Burrow has a good ability to do it too. These guys that are the top quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, obviously, right? But when Brock Purdy does it, it's like, oh, whatever. Like for many people, it seems like. But I just, I like that ability that he has because it is what has made the difference in the San Francisco offense. Think about what we used to see with this team from Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo did not have that ability. And I think now that Purdy does, that's what's taken this thing to another level. And it's a big reason why they are now in the Super Bowl for the the second time under Shanahan. You know, after after the game, uh, Kyle Shanahan was blunt about it. He goes, basically, those runs were the difference in the game. And and Trent uh, Trent Williams told me uh, after the game at his locker, he's the reason we're headed to the Super Bowl. And I think in all of the criticisms of Brock Purdy, I think there are, I would say, three traits that he has that all the great quarterbacks have. Okay, and that's number one. He is an accurate passer compared to all other NFL quarterbacks. I would call his accuracy an eight or a nine. And he's accurate also when pressured. Remember the the pass he threw? It was almost a little flip where he's running to his left and it looks like he's just going to run out of bounds and it'll probably be called a sack. But at the last minute, he just sort of flips it awkwardly. Kyle Juszczyk catches the ball and gets both feet in at the sideline for a ridiculous play. And it was a first down. Yeah, Kyle Juszczyk just barely made a first down. It was a gain of 10. And that is kind of what Brock Purdy does. That's one trait. Second trait, plays his best when the best is required. And look, they're down 17 at the half. If you're a good quarterback, you have got to be able, you're not going to do it every time, but you have to have the presence and the calm 
and the it factor to be able to bring your team back. He's done that a couple of times now in his time as Niners quarterback. And I think the last thing is you really have to be a flatliner. Mm -hmm. I marvel at Brock Purdy's ability to essentially not let anything in the outside world have any impact whatsoever. He talked about it during his press conference, not to me, but he talked about it in his press conference. And look, we can talk about God. We can talk about the effect of religion in people's lives and all that, but it really doesn't matter. Religion is an intensely, uh, you know, personal thing. And last night after the game, Brock Purdy talked about how I just put it on God. I have this abiding faith and whatever happens, I know we're going to be fine. My job is to put everything I have into this moment. And, you know, as he said, I've done a good job of being where my feet are. And, and, and I think that aspect of his life makes all these people in the outside world saying, oh, he stinks, or he's a marginal player, or whatever. He just doesn't care. Yeah. And and I really kind of admire that in him. Whatever you think of his religious beliefs, it doesn't matter. He is emboldened and gets his flatlining capabilities from that. And And as I say, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It matters what Brock Purdy thinks. And it also matters that that ethos, that way of living helps him compartmentalize everything in his life and to devote all his energy uh, when he's on the field to being a good football player and not listening to any of the garbage. It's interesting, Peter, because... I think people like criticizing Brock Purdy because like there are things to criticize, right? I mean, there is play obviously in the divisional round against green Bay for three quarters yeah. was not up to par, right? I would say that his play in the first two quarters of last night's game, not up to par. Absolutely. But when you can turn it on and you can still lead your team to wins and to victories, right? Like that, is the most important thing, right? And, you know, I like to talk about the fact that Patrick Mahomes, the floor with him for a team, is losing in overtime of the conference title game. Well, through two years, the, the floor for Brock Purdy is losing in the conference title game because his arm got hurt. Like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's done nothing but win. And, you know, wins are not always quarterback stat, but I, I do think that he has earned a lot of credit for what he's been able to execute as part of Kyle Shanahan's offense. Yeah, I, you know, I think I've talked about this on the show before on in one episode or another, but I remember as, as Brock Purdy was getting his start uh, in December of 22, um, you know, he just had played two or three games. And I remember talking to George Kittle about him and Kittle said it helped him not only because I made the, the the point to him that, hey, just my thought, but I think he's really helped by the fact that he played 46 games, started 46 games at a power five school, mm-hmm. you know, Iowa State in the Big 12. And he's played in front of 100,000 at uh, Texas and in front of 90,000 at Oklahoma He's played a lot of those big games. And Kittle interrupted me and he goes, you're forgetting one thing. He said, it's great to play at a place like Iowa State because you're not that good. I mean, Iowa State traditionally hasn't been that good. There are no gimmies. You got to be on your horse every week that you play because it's difficult to win in a big way at Iowa State. So I really thought that was a good add to the story of why Purdy uh, has started off and, and done pretty well. And look, Miles, 
I have no idea how it's going to go in a couple of weeks when he plays Patrick Mahomes. But I just, I don't think the game's going to be too big for him. I think he's going to go out and play a football game. And it's easy to say that now because he's playing against a guy who, you know, Patrick Mahomes has been on this stage his whole career. So it's not going to be the biggest deal for him. But my feeling is that Purdy is going to represent himself well in this game. We'll see what happens. But I, I think his story is absolutely fabulous. And it just goes to show you that do not assume that because either you played at Iowa State and you didn't play for one of the real big boys or because you're the the 262nd pick in the draft that you can't do it. I mean, Brock Purdy is living proof that you can. I'm into that. Yeah, I, I love it. And that's one of the things I love about football. You know, you come from anywhere. It doesn't matter how you get there. And coaches say this all the time, but what, you know, after the draft, they tell rookies, you know, it doesn't matter how you got here or you're here now. Yeah. And so the only thing that matters is what's next and what you do and what you make of the opportunity. And I mean, it, no matter what you say about Brock Purdy, you cannot say that he has not taken advantage of every opportunity that he's yeah. been given in yeah. the NFL. Right. And in college football, quite honestly, yeah. he's living, breathing proof that if you have an, if you have a, an opportunity to take advantage I mean, look, this guy is the definition of cherubic. And, you know, he he looks like he's 16 years old and you wonder if he owns a razor, uh, you know, because he may not need one. But anyway, it's just it's I I think it's just a really cool story. And I I I like telling it. Miles, let's go into my uh, conversation after the game. With Purdy in the bowels of this stadium, in a PR office, um, you you know, at Levi's Stadium. I I think you'll enjoy some of his observations about where he's come from and how this game went. After that, we're going to take a break. And then on the other side of the podcast, we will come back with thoughts on the Kansas City Chiefs steamrolling again to another Super Bowl. So that's the lineup for the rest of the pod. Let's listen to Brock Purdy about his life and about the biggest win of his life. So let me set the stage for you a little bit with my conversation with Brock Purdy after the NFC Championship game. Basically, what happens in these games is that uh, guys, for instance, Brock, in this case, Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan, they were very delayed in getting into the press conferences post-game because of the celebration on the field, and then they all were in the locker room, and so they didn't even come out till like an hour or so after the game. Uh, So after that happened, then I walked with Purdy to uh, a PR office of the 49ers right across the hall from their locker room at Levi's Stadium. So I sat in there with Brock Purdy for, I think, eight minutes and talked to him a little bit. And I thought that the best way to get into it with him is the way that, just to say, man, the last draft pick in college and... Now you're going to the Super Bowl to play the great Mahomes. So I asked him about that. Here were his thoughts. It's been it's been a roller coaster, really. You know, you have you finish your senior year in college, you get drafted last, um, and you think maybe there's no shot here. To all of a sudden there is. You made the team. To your backup. To you're getting thrown in. To obviously being one win away from going to the Super Bowl your rookie year. Um, you tear your arm, like, and then you go through the rehab process. You, you make it back. Then you go through some good times in the season. You go through some times that are tough with the three losses that we had in a row, the performance on Christmas Day. There's just it's, it's a roller coaster, man. And so 
Um, I've just tried to do my best to take it one day at a time and, and um, be where my feet are at, whether it's going good or not. I'm not defined by my circumstances. And, and more than anything, I just try to have a grateful mindset, and that's allowed me to sort of enjoy this last year and a half. Then I asked him about the plays that Kyle Shanahan said were basically the differences in the game. And that was three plays in the last 22 minutes of the game that Brock Purdy ran for a total of 52 yards. And he's not a runner. He had only had one 50-yard running game in his entire NFL career to that point, I think 25 games or something. And so talking to him about sort of his strategy of, you know, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, when to take off, I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously I dropped back first and, and read the defense. I'm trying to hit my receivers. That's like the point of playing quarterback. Um, but when, you know, they do a good job with the coverage or blitzes and then I see some space in that moment in this game with 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 the, the stakes, like what they're at, and, you know, being in the NFC Championship game, it's like, all right, you got to find a way, man. Um, I know that I'm athletic enough to be able to move the chains and, and to obviously keep it rolling and, and create some juice and momentum for our guys. And, and so that's what I think I did in those moments. It wasn't predetermined or anything. It was just on the fly. Um, but like I said, when we're down like we were um, and we needed just momentum um, to be able to pull the ball down and, and honestly lower my shoulder a couple times, like I think it was it was good for our team. And, um, you know, looking back on it, man, it was, it was just it's part of the game. Um, but it's momentum, and we needed that. So, And so I'll give you one last one of my time with Purdy, and I'm going to include a little bit of me with this and sort of my question to him. But it's just a little bit kind of about how Brock Purdy, in essence, has a great attitude about where he is in the NFL, who he is, and why his absolute flatliner demeanor really serves him well. And I think going into the Super Bowl is really going to serve him well. I remember I sat right in here with you after your first game against Miami, and you and I said to you, uh, you're playing Tom Brady in your first NFL start, and you said, that's cool. He's been playing football longer than I've been alive. And I constantly am interested in the fact that nothing really seems to bother you or overwhelm you or you don't make the game too big. But now you're the last pick in the draft and you're playing in the Super Bowl in your second year and the fate of this franchise is on your shoulders. So how do you feel about that? Honestly, like I have, you know, since I've stepped in this whole role um, last year when Jimmy went down, it was how can I do my job really well for this team, be consistent. I know I have a really good team around me, got great play calling, great organization. And uh, if I can just do my job well, everything will fall into place how it needs to. And honestly, going into this last game of the season for everyone, that's my mindset too. Um, it shouldn't change. It's like, all right, I made it to the Super Bowl, now i got to start acting uncharacteristic and make all these crazy plays. It's how can I do my job well? If I need to improvise, I'll improvise. But at the end of the day, find find a way to win, just like we did today. So, be kind of cool to play Mahomes, huh? Yeah, it's going to be sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be cool. I mean, watching that guy since I was in high school, really, and the way he's uh, taken over the NFL, it's, it's been fun to watch. So to have an opportunity to go, go up against him for Super Bowl, man, doesn't get any better than that. Hey, listen, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I'll see you in Vegas. Yes, sir. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy 
is our best policy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. So, Miles, I, I am a little fascinated by this edition of the Kansas City football team. And I'll tell you the biggest reason why. I was in Germany 10 weeks ago, 12 weeks ago, whatever it was, early November. And I saw the 21 to 14 win over the Miami Dolphins in Frankfurt. And they weren't playing very well offensively at all. And I've told the story here and in my column, and I told it again in Football Morning in America, uh, post-championship game edition. But twice after that game, Mahomes basically, Patrick Mahomes pigeonholed me and said, we will get this offense fixed. I promise you. And it sounds funny after a game in which they scored 17 points to extol the virtues of this offense. But there's a reason why I think that, and look, this defense and Steve Spagnolo and 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 so many people on that defense deserve credit. But I think Patrick Mahomes basically saying almost three months ago, we're going to figure out this offense. Well, he was right. They've scored 70 points in three postseason games. They got Isaiah Pacheco uh, averaging 85 yards a game in the postseason. You finally have a receiver you can trust, a wide receiver in Rasheed Rice, who owned the game against Miami in the playoffs. And then obviously Travis Kelsey, 11 targets, 11 catches, 116 yards in the AFC championship game. And I'll tell you one thing. If Travis Kelsey doesn't go into the Hall of Fame on roller skates, man, this guy, everyone in the stadium knew that he was going to get the ball early and often in this game. And still, every time Mahomes threw to him, every time he was perfect. So I don't know. I sort of look at it, Miles, and I think, I just was impressed with their offense, even though they only scored 17 points in this game. They made enough critical plays where they controlled everything that was happening, even in the second half when they couldn't really get anything going. And part of that is because the Kansas City defense has been so good. And it's I I would say it's been elite in in the postseason. I mean, they, they made the critical plays when they needed to make them. And yeah, Buffalo got a bunch of yards last week, but when it came down to it, they made the stops. And, you know, I when you look at what that defense did against Lamar Jackson, unbelievable. But yeah. the fact that Patrick Mahomes was able to start that game just going down the field, started 10-10 passing. You know, they go for it on fourth down and three. And you know, I've watched enough Chiefs over the last however many years to know that when it's fourth down in those situations, they love – the, the sprint right pass. And it looked like Baltimore also kind of figured that out because first yeah. read in the flat was covered. And then Mahomes has to go all the way back kind of across the field to Kelsey. But what does he do but throw an absolute strike to Travis Kelsey? And Kelsey reaches out and just makes a, ble- a, a great catch. I mean, it was just, it was two of those dudes, two of the best to ever play at their positions just executing at the highest level. And the same thing happened when he throws to Travis Kelsey in the front right corner of the end zone, covered by Kyle Hamilton, first team what a all throw. Kyle Hamilton. What is, a throw, man. Uh, yeah, because Kyle Hamilton, what is Kyle Hamilton going to do in that situation? man? I mean, he is covering Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey's covered, but he uncovers because Mahomes throws an absolutely perfect throw, the only place he can put it. And it's just, and Kelsey makes the catch. It was just, Unbelievable to see those two guys and how well they are connected make the plays that they made. And so, yeah, I I could not have been more impressed with what they put out there. And it was another situation, Peter, where the final score was not necessarily indicative of how that game went because right. 
the Chiefs went for it on fourth down again, you know, and they didn't get it that time with Isaiah Pacheco running up the middle. If you kick a field goal, then that game maybe looks a little bit different in terms of the final score there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, on Christmas Day, I remember sitting at my mom's house and watching that game against the Raiders and thinking, man, I, I don't in know. trouble. Yeah, I, I don't know if this team's going to make it out of the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, like yeah. they can't do anything offensively. They have no reliable receivers. You know, even Travis Kelsey's not making the plays you expect him to make. And I don't know if it's you flip the switch or what, but or maybe that week after clinching the AFC West, you know, they came out here to LA and they didn't play guys. You know, Travis Kelsey rested, even though he had the chance to get to a thousand yards, and Mahomes didn't play and all that. And maybe that week just got their minds right, you know, to say, no, we we can do this once we get into the postseason. Whatever it is, it worked. And when you've got elite guys at head coach, quarterback, tight end, you know, defensive lineman and Chris Jones, all those young dudes on that defense who have, you know, continued to rise and they're still going to mostly be together next year because they're all so young and an elite defensive coordinator in Spagnuolo. I mean, this is the kind of results you're going to get. And I, I, I couldn't be more impressed with the run that they've had. You know, Miles, I found myself thinking, I watched this game in the press box at Levi's Stadium. And I thought at three or four different moments of the game that there's a difference between being a really good team and being a good big game team uh, when you need to be experienced in the art of playing a big game. And again, I'm going to point to four things for Baltimore that bothered me quite a bit. And I'm not saying they're all because guys didn't, you know, capitalize on the moment. But the four things that really kind of bothered me, um, Kyle Van Noy. Here's a guy who's played for Bill Belichick, who is one of the most trusted veterans in the NFL. Truly, 32 years old, played 10 years. I really have great admiration for Kyle Van Noy. I don't care how angry you get at somebody on the field. You know that if you take your helmet and forcibly headbutt Travis Kelsey with two officials standing right there, that you're going to get a 15-yard flag. And again, that... Uh, and and I, I'm sure that Kyle Van Noy today regrets what happened. And that's why it is so odd to have seen him do that. Just like I think it was odd to see Lamar Jackson throw for Isaiah Likely into what turned out to be triple coverage uh, in the shallow end zone on a vital, vital drive that for all intents and purposes – ended Baltimore's true chances to win this game. I One other one, Roquan Smith, who I think is taken over really as the leader of this defense uh, after he got signed to, he, they traded for him a year ago and, and he got signed to a big contract and deserves it. He's a great player, great leader. Um, I understand why he jumped offside. Because at that point, it's the clock late in the game. It's the clock that's important, uh, the most important thing. But to barrel into an offensive lineman, send him flying, and get not a five-yard penalty, but a 15-yard penalty, insane. It's just not smart to do. And obviously, look, Zay Flowers, he's a rookie. But a taunting penalty? in a crucial time in the game, Uh, you know, fumbling, getting the ball punched out at the 10-inch line on a play that would have brought you to within a field goal. I, I, you know, the Ravens did not meet the moment, Miles. No, no, not not at all. And, you know, there's also the play where defensive linemen, like, club uh, Patrick Mahomes in the face. Like, I just... I just, I found myself watching that game just saying, what are the Ravens doing? 
It was just undisciplined crap. Like just stuff I, I did not expect to see from a John Harbaugh team, right? I mean, this is a team that has been arguably the best team in football all year, right? You know, they, they went to Santa Clara and kicked the crap out of the 49ers on Christmas night. Like this is the team that you said, okay, this is their year, right? And so the undisciplined stuff, that really bothered me. I, I just, I, I didn't understand what was going on there. And like, yeah. why, why was Justin Tucker in the space of oh, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey before the game. Like, what, what is that all about? It's just weird. What are you weird. practicing with the T from the end zone? Like, I don't, I, I just, I didn't understand any of that. It was like some weird thing to maybe try and get into their head. But I mean, Peter, how many games have you attended? And when have you ever seen a kicker getting in the way of quarterbacks warming up for a game? Like, what what the hell was going on? So I forget who said this, Miles, but I think it might have been Danny Woodhead or somebody uh, on social media talked about how two things. Each team has one side of the field, yeah. and a kicker generally might cheat over uh, 10 yards or whatever, or five yards, if you know he's trying a long field goal. But there would never be a reason for a kicker to have his tee at the goal line. Never. There's just no, there's no sensible explanation for that. And I don't blame Mahomes and Kelsey for kicking it, throwing it and all that. It just, it was, and again, Travis, uh, Justin Tucker is one of the nicest guys I've ever met covering football, but that just seemed like for whatever reason, a provocative act by either him or by the Raven, I I don't know. But anyway, that was odd. And, you know, I found myself also thinking, Miles, about the Ravens. Everything that happens to you in life becomes part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And, and you see Patrick Mahomes playing so well in these big games. But honestly, a game in the regular season you know, on Christmas in San Francisco or in Santa Clara, when the Ravens go there, big, big game, big game, not even close to the magnitude of a championship game or not even close, honestly, to a divisional game. Uh, It's certainly not close to a Super Bowl. And so I think part of me, I, I found myself thinking at the end of this game, The Ravens are going to be better for this. The Ravens needed this. Lamar Jackson really has not played in games of this magnitude in four years. Right. You know, so I'm not throwing the Ravens out the window. (laughs) I think the Ravens are going to be good for a while. Lamar is obviously going to be good for a long time. I just think they didn't meet the moment, didn't respond, and they'll be back. But, man, they made some fairly big errors in this game. Oh, but will they be back, Peter? I mean, that's the the difficult thing with the AFC is, at this point, we feel like, all right, you know, Mahomes, uh, he's going to be there. We we know that, you know. Nobody's been able to take him out except for Joe Burrow and Tom Brady (laughs) when it comes to the postseason. And Joe Burrow wasn't there this year. And so I fully expect, if Joe Burrow is healthy, that the Bengals are going to continue to be one of the elite teams in the AFC, and they are also happen to be in the Ravens' division. So, like, that's difficult. I think the Steelers are always going to be a threat. They're in the, in, in the Ravens' division. I don't know what Cleveland's going to be, so, you know, forget that. But, like, look, you got Houston. C.J. Stroud's going to get better. I, that's another team. Trevor Lawrence, yeah, they're inconsistent, but the Jaguars are kind of a threat. You know, they should continue to get better. Like Miami's not going anywhere. I don't think Buffalo's going anywhere. I, so the AFC is going to be really, really tough to get out of. And, you know, if Mike McDonald Great ends up getting one of these Great head point. coaching jobs, like, yeah. then that takes away something else that you have there, which is your defensive coordinator, who has been a tremendous game planner and a tremendous a uh, uh, person who makes the in-game adjustments too. So this was the opportunity for the Baltimore Ravens and the, Lamar Jackson was not good enough. And I don't think their yeah. offensive game plan was good enough either. 
you know, the way Todd Munkin was calling plays, I just don't really understand why we didn't see more designed runs for Lamar Jackson, especially after the way he converted that fourth down in his own territory going 20 yeah. plus yards. Like, let him do his thing. You got to let Lamar, uh, you got to let Lamar Jackson cook a little bit there. So yeah. it just, for whatever reason, it didn't work out, you know, and that throw that he made into the end zone to Isaiah likely just inexplicable. I, I don't, I don't know what you're looking at there, man. Like that's a horrible decision. Um, I, and I'm not saying that Lamar Jackson's all of a sudden going to be bad. I, like, don't get me wrong, but I just, it's going to be difficult for Baltimore to get back to this spot. It, it just yeah. is. You make a really, really good point about the depth of this conference. And the two things you've said that cannot be minimized, Joe Burrow's going to be back and Jim Harbaugh is in town. And that just makes it harder to get out of the AFC. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think, and I'm not saying this is going to be Dan Marino. Remember, well, yeah, you weren't even born yet. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but the first Super Bowl I ever covered, 49ers Dolphins nearby Palo Alto. And what I'll never forget, leaving the stadium that night, the old Stanford Stadium, that the the theme by everyone is, well, Marino lost, but he'll be back. It was his second year in the NFL. Marino never got back. And so I think you're right. But I want to say one other thing about this game, that there's a pretty decent chance that Kansas City might not be moving on without the best play of Legereus Sneed's life. Yeah. And and first, let me preface this by saying that, so Legereus Sneed, I think everybody thinks, oh, it's a good NFL corner. Let me tell you something about Legereus Sneed. And that is, in the first 18 games of this season, 17 games of the regular season and the playoff game against Miami, in the first 18 games for Kansas City, Legereus Sneed did not allow a touchdown in man coverage all season. And for today, in today's football, with all that, the amazing thing was that Legereus Sneed saved the day and had the presence of mind, I'm going to try to punch this ball out as Zay Flowers lunges for the end zone. That's what champions do. That's what championship teams do. And I love that aspect. And I love that aspect of watching uh, Kansas City play football. This is not their best team no. by any stretch. No. But you just try beating them, you know, in a, in a very, very big game. That is a tough challenge. You know, Peter, yeah, the, the cliche, obviously, is defense wins championships, right? And, you know, that's... When the Kansas City was going into the postseason, it was kind of like, well, you still have 15, right? And you have an elite defense. Like, this is not the, the best Chiefs team that we've seen in the Mahomes era, but it certainly is the best defense. And that's what's given them a chance throughout the entire regular season in a lot of these games where, like, the offense just couldn't get things done. And, you know, all of a sudden, maybe you have a turnover or you just get enough stops and, like, the, the Chiefs were able to win. 11 games but once you get to the postseason I mean this unit has been great you know they have made the stops when they needed to and yeah you had that really really cold game against the Dolphins sure but it's not like Miami got anything easily in that wild card round game and I would kind of say the same about the Buffalo game they weren't really getting things easily either um so then you get to uh yesterday and it just it all came together you know and you know, whether it's Snead punching the ball out, you know, guys making the stops when they needed to. They, the only play that Baltimore really, really got off, you know, for a score was that crazy good throw that Lamar Jackson had to make after he was almost sacked. Like, that play should have gone as a sack. And the only reason it wasn't yeah. is because Lamar Jackson is a completely elite player. And then you yeah. had a, a, He's a Gumby. On a receiver. He, he yeah. is Gumby, I'm telling yeah. you. It's like when you when you get a hold on when you get to him, you better hold on for dear life because yeah. otherwise he's going to escape. Um, yeah. But yeah, it just 
I, I could not be more impressed with the job that C. Spagnuolo has done with that group and, and just how well they played against Baltimore. Because again, that, I got that, a I got a really good I got a real good email, and you hear you hear you hear of this uh, a lot. Really, I got an email about Spagnolo on Sunday night, and uh, this emailer asked, "Shouldn't Steve Spagnolo be considered for the Hall of Fame?" Because when you look back on the Giants beating the great Patriots teams, he had such a huge impact um, in that period of history for the Giants in beating the great Patriots. But look, coordinators, it's, it's not that they couldn't make the Hall of Fame, but it's that they haven't made the hall of fame. And so I just look at it. I I doubt he ever would, but it's a really, really interesting question to ponder, especially after watching how in a championship game, once again, he figured a way to shut down a great quarterback and win the game. If they, if they dominate San Francisco, in this Super Bowl coming up, then I think that case gets a lot better. Uh, that 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 yeah. case becomes really good. But yeah, I mean that'd be three Super Bowls in four years, right? For the Chiefs, and then obviously the one in two thousand seven, where you're stopping, I mean, one of the greatest offenses of all time in Tom Brady and, and a completely undefeated team to that game. So yeah, like that's he'd at least have a case in my mind. Yeah. Every day. Our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Miles, let's take a moment and just give a sort of a 10,000-foot observation preview of the Super Bowl. And 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 I just wrote down a couple of things that I just wanted to throw out to you just to ask you your thought. But the first one essentially is following up on Spagnolo. They're going to do something to Kyle Shanahan that he's not expecting. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but I do think that Kyle Shanahan's bywords and watchwords with the team as they prepare for this game, if if it were me, expect the unexpected. That's, Absolutely, that's the first thing. And and you know, I wonder how you look at that matchup. You know, Shanahan's office offense versus Spagnolo in that defense. Well, I think we've seen that if you get Brock Purdy off of his game early, there are going to be opportunities, whether they are for turnovers, whether it's to just knock off his rhythm a little bit. You know, you you have to play physically against the 49ers. I think we all know that. And frankly, the Chiefs have been the more physical team in all of their matchups so far in the postseason, I think. So, look, I, I think that Steve Spagnuolo will have something for Kyle Shanahan's offense and with Brock Purdy. Um, the last time they played each other in Santa Clara, it did not go well for the 49ers at all. Yeah. So I think that that's something that, you know, both teams will take a look at. Um, but yeah, I, I think knowing that there are some vulnerabilities in Brock Purdy's game, um, I, I might give a slight advantage there to uh, the Chiefs defense versus the 49ers offense. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to bring up is that in the two most recent times I've covered a Kansas City game, 
they pull the play out of nowhere. The first one against New England, uh, Matt Nagy brought to Andy Reid this play from the Ivy League in the 40s, and I'm not kidding. And they ran it and they scored a touchdown. And then after the game in Buffalo, Reed was telling me about a play they hadn't used in seven years since Alex Smith was the quarterback pre-Mahomes. And it was sort of uh, a screen pass in the flat to Travis Kelsey. Um, And so I don't know what is going to be called in this game. But Andy Reid, Matt Nagy, and that staff is very good, very good at finding two or three plays that when they happen, you say, we were totally unprepared for that. So it's a little bit of uh, the inverse of what we were just talking about with Spagnolo, But I, I just think, I think Andy Reid and, and his brain trust is going to find something that is, is going to say to Steve Wilkes, here's something that not only didn't you prepare for, but you couldn't have prepared for it. Yes. And, you know, I think the, the first half performance um, by the San Francisco defense in that game against the Lions was alarming for a number of reasons, but mostly because they gave up the most rushing yards in a first half of any game since Kyle Shanahan has become the head coach of the 49ers since 2017. That, to me, would be something that's very alarming. And I don't necessarily know how you fix that within two weeks, especially when it's Andy Reid on the other side and you're giving him some extra time to prepare. Like, that is not necessarily the best situation for the 49ers there. So that in that way, if it's 49ers defense versus Chiefs offense, I think the clear advantage goes to the Chiefs offense, given the high level that that unit's been playing at and given the fact that we know Andy Reid's an elite, an elite offensive schemer. It's a very good, all all very good point. Um, Miles, I think we're done. And I think I'd like to give uh, a little bit of preview uh, of a preview for next week. We're both going to be on the scene in Las Vegas. Viva. We're going to record our podcast on Tuesday morning in Vegas. Uh, I'll have a guest from there as well. But I'm really kind of looking forward to the weirdness of a Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Me too. And reading a lot about it, one of the things that's going to be weird is Las Vegas is the star of the show. And yet all the people there uh, who are there for the NFL, the the two teams, are going to be 25 miles out of town because the NFL doesn't want the teams to be frequenting the uh, the casinos. <laughs> it's just, it's one of the oddest things. You want to embrace Las Vegas. You also want to keep Las Vegas at 14 arm's lengths during Super Bowl week. <laughs> kind of odd, isn't it? Not only that, Peter, but you're going to have the Kansas City Chiefs using the Las Vegas Raiders facility to practice. I mean, if I love that is weird, that is so weird. I, I mean, love two that. great rivals in the NFL, and one is using that team's facility. I think that that's pretty hilarious. Yeah, and and, yeah. and it's going to be 49ers in Chiefs end zones in the Raiders stadium. That's, if you're a Raiders that's, fan, that's got to burn you up a little bit. Oh my! I didn't even <laughs> I didn't think of the 49ers. That was great. And by the way, by the way, we were what, 20 minutes away from the first game of the season being Detroit and Kansas City and the last game of the season being Detroit and Kansas City. And and look, I want to give a shout out to the NFL scheduling department because I remember last May when the schedule came out, there's a lot of people. I even asked Dan Campbell about this in training camp. There's a lot of people who said, Oh my God, the Lions in the first game. This could be 28 to three at the half. People all over America are going to be turning off their TVs 
They don't want to watch this game. Why'd you put the Lions in the game? Well, I think the Lions are not going to be questioned anymore. Because I'll tell you, Miles, there's a little postscript that we didn't really didn't get into. What's the scariest def- scariest offense to stop right now in the NFL? It's Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions. They have so many weapons. And look, Josh Reynolds is going to live in infamy and a lot of people in Detroit for the pass he probably should have caught on fourth and two. And then the drive-killing pass that bounced off his chest, a perfect pass by Goff, um, also in the second half. And look, unfortunately, unfortunately that happened. But I will just say that Detroit offense with Ben Johnson calling the plays in so many good weapons, that was a fearsome group by the end of the season. Yeah, it was. I'm curious to see what happens next year, assuming Ben Johnson gets a head coaching job and who is going to take over that role of calling the plays or if Dan Campbell might go back to it because he was doing it um, during the first year of his tenure before they officially promoted Ben Johnson to being offensive coordinator. But yeah, that was that really was a good Lions team, you know, and, and I think that they deserve their flowers for making it to the NFC championship game despite not winning. Very true. Miles Simmons, we'll see you in Las Vegas. Thank you. And, and I'd like to thank everybody for experiencing another episode of the Peter King podcast. Maybe some of you watch it, some of you listen, whatever. But I truly appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll be back next week, and we'll be setting the scene from Sin City. Have a good week, everybody. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.